Angry Degenerate Podcast. I am your angry degenerate, Michael Alexandre. I'll be talking about the Euro Cup. I'll be talking about Copa America. I'll give you some news and notes from Major League Baseball. So I'll give you my gambling picks at the end of the pod, which I'm 10-3 thus far in my five episodes. 10-3. and three. That's a lot of money in your pocket if you followed my picks. Now, if you didn't, maybe follow them today. I got a lot. Of, I got about five soccer picks for you. But without further ado, let's just kick it off and let's talk about the Euro Cup. It's been an exciting week and a half of Euro Cup soccer. The end of the group stages, the beginning of the knockout phases. Title holders Portugal are out as they got bounced out on Sunday against Belgium, one to nothing. If you guys didn't know. I picked Portugal-France in the Euro Cup final. And guess what? France also got bounced out. They made it to the knockout phases in first place of Group F. And they got knocked out by Switzerland after being up 3-1. Switzerland came back, tied it 3-3. Mbappe missed the fifth and final penalty to bring Switzerland to the quarterfinals. And the French have gone home. So the two teams I had in the finals are out. And that's why we do predictions, folks, so you can go back and laugh at them. Because at the end of the day, the people that are not playing on the field really don't know shit. That's just the way it goes. So the knockout stages itself has been very exciting to watch. Some of the games have been very interesting. The France game I just pointed to against Switzerland, where the Swiss... Went up one nothing. The French tied. Then the French went up 3-1. Then the Swiss came back 3-3 to extra time. And then they went to penalties and the French got bounced out. They were by far the tournament favorites. Now there's been some things coming out in the media that the players weren't getting along. The players weren't happy with the living situations. This always seems to happen to France every other every couple years. It happened in 2002. It happened in, uh, I believe it was 2008 and 2010. And it seemed like it happened this tournament as well. Maybe inserting Kareem Benzema this late in the process kind of messed up the psyche of the team, even though Kareem Benzema did amazing at the tournament. Backtracking a bit, talking about how... So now the World Cup, the reigning defending World Cup champs are out of the Euro Cup, as well as the reigning defending European champions, Portugal who finished third in their group behind France and Germany in the group of death. Speaking of Germany as well, Germany is also got bounced out in the tournament. They lost 2-0 against England at Wembley. So the group of death is no more for the most part. They really just battled it out in, in the group of death. And once it came to the knockout phases, all three teams just kind of withered under pressure. You look at a team like Portugal who, I'll be honest, this was the best game that they played the entire tournament. They didn't show up against Hungary up until the 80th minute, 85th minute. They definitely did not show up against Germany. In fact, that was the only game where Germany looked like Germany of old was against Portugal. You could blame the coach for his tactics on that one. They lost 4-2 that game. Then they played against France. They got a couple penalties. They ended up coming out with a draw. I could perhaps make a claim 
that Portugal deserved more than that, but France could also make a claim that they deserved more than that because there was a couple fantastic saves from Rui Patricio, the goalkeeper of Portugal, that kind of saved their ass from even being in, in third place. But Portugal went into this game against Belgium as the underdogs. Belgium's the number one team in the world. But Belgium did not... You know, you think when you think of Belgium, you think of that attacking flair. That did not happen in that game versus Portugal. In fact, Belgium was just absorbing pressure for the majority of the game and defending well. And it's not like their defenders are world beaters. Their back line is filled with 35-plus-year-old Thomas Vermeulen and Jan Vertonghen. I mean, we're talking about players that are not spring chickens here, but they pretty much kept Portugal out of the penalty box. They could not gain any traction there. All you saw was a bunch of long shots from Renato Sanchez, Cristiano Ronaldo. In fact, Ronaldo had one off the post. Belgium, all they had was one miracle goal at the end of the first half. Their only shot on goal, and they scored it. They were very efficient, and all they had to do was just sit back and defend the entire rest of the game, and they did. And Portugal had no answers for them. But I will give Portugal credit for one thing, is that they went out fighting, they went out attacking, but I just would have liked to have seen that attacking flair a little bit earlier in the tournament. As a Portuguese, I love Fernando Santos. He's an amazing head co- has been an amazing head coach for Portugal, got us our first two titles. In fact, the title that Portugal won in Euro 2016 could quite possibly be attributed to the tactics that... Fernand Santos imposed on the team that defensive-minded style of play. But if you look at a team like Portugal, they are stacked on offense. You look at Cristiano Ronaldo, Diego Jota, Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, Andre Silva. The list goes on and on. João Felix, Paulinha, Renato Santos. And they just did not take advantage of that. I'm thinking they need to make a change in the coaching atmosphere there. They will not. The coach has, Fernand Sanchez has a contract till 2024, and he's pretty much going to probably stay until the end of the World Cup with Portugal. Hopefully, he has a tactical change in the way that we line up our team. Hopefully, he doesn't play Cristiano Ronaldo out wide anymore. That's not something that needs to happen. I think Portugal really struggled with the loss of Juan Cancelo and, and then Nelson Semedo was in his was his replacement. But I think, you know, the writing was on the wall after that Hungary game. And then we went to Germany. Uh, there was no tactical improvements there from, from Fernand Santos. But moving on from that, Spain has came come alive in this tournament. Back-to-back five-goal games. At one point, we thought they were out of the tournament. They had two points. They scored five on Slovakia. They still finished second in the group. Then they came and they played against Croatia. They were up 3-1. Croatia came back, tied the game 3-3. Then Spain, in extra time, went ahead and scored two goals to go ahead 5-3. Yeah, they what a game. That was a game. The France game against Switzerland in the knockout phases was a game. Denmark, everyone's second favorite team, is in the knockout phases. And they're in the quarterfinals against... Czech Republic, you got Spain versus Switzerland on Friday. You have Belgium versus Italy, who, by the way, Portugal put a hurting on Belgium in the sense that Hazard is going to be most likely out of the game. De Bruyne is going to be out of the game. Those are two players that are very 
important for Belgium. And they're going against an Italy team that has by far, in my opinion, been the most impressive team in this Euro Cup. And then lastly, the last games is uh, England versus Ukraine. England is the only team in the tournament to not give up a goal. Their defense has been fantastic. Their best player, in my opinion, has been sitting on the bench this entire time, Sancho. He just made a move to Manchester United. It was just announced today. England has been very unimpressive, in my opinion. And they've had home field advantage for the most part in this entire tournament. Now they will go, they will be playing away. I think this is their first game that they'll be playing away from home. They beat Germany 2-0, which like I said, Germany was very unimpressive in this tournament besides the game that they smashed Portugal 4-2. And England's going to play Ukraine, which was, I believe, the worst third place team. England pretty much has home field advantage going into this tournament. The final is in Wembley. They got placed on the easy side of the bracket. Their fans in the Germany game booed the German national anthem. I hope England in their next game against Ukraine most likely will not happen, but I hope they get wrecked. I hope they get wrecked and those fans go back crying and England once again goes home disappointed. Because it seems like the only way England can win a tournament, just like in 1966, is when they get help from the officials, whether it be FIFA and now UEFA. But that's my final point on that. So my predictions for the knockout phases is I got Italy beating Belgium, I got Spain beating Switzerland, I got England beating Ukraine, and I got Denmark beating the Czech Republic. So that sets up a semi-finals, Denmark-England and Spain-Italy. That's going to be an interesting Final Four if my predictions do come true. Moving on, there is another big soccer tournament going on in this world. It is Copa America. I know I haven't quite talked about it as much on this podcast because, let's be honest, Copa America not, has not been as interesting as the Euro Cup. And I think a large portion of that being is one, they're playing at the same time as the Euro Cup. And the Euro Cup is available on more channels than Copa America. In fact, to watch Copa America, I have to go to the Spanish channels. To watch the Euro Cup, I can watch them on ESPN. And I think that's an issue. But also, Copa America has no fans. I think the fans at this tournament of Euro of the Euro Cup have added to the excitement. And I just don't see a lot of excitement at Copa America. Plus, there hasn't been that many exciting games as well. I've watched, you know, the vast majority of the tournament. There hasn't been really that many exciting games to speak of. In Copa America, you have a quarterfinal of Peru versus Paraguay, Brazil versus Chile, which I think will be a very interesting game. You have the the reigning defending champs in Brazil versus the previous champs two times over Chile. Then you have Uruguay-Colombia, which another interesting matchup. And then you have Argentina-Ecuador. Now, I initially picked Brazil and Argentina to go to the final. I'm still sticking with that. Argentina has an easy matchup, in my opinion, against Ecuador, even though Brazil tied them in their last matchup. And then Peru-Paraguay is pretty much a toss-up, in my opinion. And then you have Uruguay-Colombia, which is... Colombia, for the life of me, hasn't been able to attack this tournament. They're usually a very efficient attacking team. Not this tournament. And then you have Uruguay. When you think of Uruguay, you think of Suarez and you think of Cavani. But what's been most impressive about them has been their defense. So I expect a low-scoring game in that one. And then the game of the quarterfinals here will be Brazil-Chile. I'm going to be very excited to watch that one on Friday at 5. 
uh, Pacific Standard Time here. But I have Brazil winning that one. So that'll, you know, with that being said, I have Brazil winning that one, Argentina winning that one, Uruguay winning the other quarterfinal, and then Peru, Paraguay, a toss-up. I'll just go with Peru just because, you know, they made the finals against uh, Brazil the previous Copa America. Maybe they have a little bit more in them. But I fully expect there to be an Argentina-Brazil final is my, my anticipation. I think both having both tournaments at the same time has been a godsend for my viewing ple- pleasure. But I don't think it did Copa America any favors. Having Not having fans at the stadium has definitely showed and it absolutely adds excitement to the game. Surprise to no one. Moving on, I kind of wanted to touch on some Major League Baseball news and notes. Kind of go through the standings. Look at what's been happening in baseball. Let's start with the Home Run Derby. Which is which was which was one of my favorite things to watch as a kid, watching all the old clips of Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire hitting home runs in the Green Monster in 1998, and and watching Ken Griffey Jr. and all the stars at the Home Run Derby, and very much like the NBA Dunk Contest, the Home Run Derby has kind of lost its luster over the course of the years. I think it's been kind of getting back to it uh, as of late. But this year, uh, the Home Run Derby is in Colorado. And for those that don't know, Colorado's in high altitude. And it's known to be a home run hitter's park. I mean, being a Giants fan, you know going into Colorado that this game could be 13-10 and you're going to waste your bullpen. So yeah, uh, Colorado is an interesting place to play. But having the Home Run Derby in Colorado will also be even more interesting. So the players announced thus far for the Home Run Derby are Trevor Story from the Rockies, all-star shortstop who probably should get traded since the Rockies are not that great. You have Pete Alonso, who's the reigning defending Home Run Derby champion who hit 50 home runs as a rookie and beat the rookie record a few years ago. You have Shohei Otani, who's the Babe Ruth of today. The guy can pitch and be a Cy Young Award contender. The guy can hit. The guy can run. The guy can field. He can do it all. The fact that nobody knows who Shohei Otani... If Shohei Otani walked down the street, nobody would know who he is. I'm going to go a little bit on a tangent. The fact that nobody knows who Shohei Otani, Mike Trout, Ronald Acuna, Tatis is... The fact that these guys are not in mainstream media, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., the fact that these guys are not in mainstream media and they're not in commercials like I remember A-Rod and Jeter and, and those guys back in the day is a travesty. The Major League Baseball has an identity crisis. They do not know how to market their athletes. They do a lot of things wrong, Major League Baseball. I know I've been harping on that as of late. We know that baseball is a regional sport, which which means if... You're sitting in San Francisco, you're most likely only going to watch the San Francisco Giants. If you're sitting in New York, you're most likely only going to watch the New York Yankees or the New York Mets. Baseball is a very regional sport. Ratings show that. The fact that baseball can't accurately promote these athletes like the NBA does. In the NBA, you know who the stars are. They know how to promote their athletes. Now... We know that the NBA also no we also know that the NBA the stars control the league. At least we know who the stars are. In Major League Baseball, you do not know who these guys are. They're not uh, marketed well, and it's it's a terrible job. It's it's 
been a gripe of mine now for the past, I'd say, 10 years dating back to Bud Selig. They just don't know how to market their athletes. Side tangent, but yes, Otani's in the home run derby. And then they have, and then they have Trey Mancini, who's a cancer survivor uh, from the Baltimore Warriors, Orioles, power hitter. If you didn't play in Baltimore, you probably would know more about them because Baltimore's sitting dead last and probably is not going to get out of last for a very long time. That's a pretty solid lineup for the Home Run Derby. You're looking at five mashers here. Trevor Story, Pete Alonso, Shohei Otani, and Trey Mancini. I'm excited. That's the first time I've, I've said that in a while about the Home Run Derby. I'm excited. I saw that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. declined. That's fine. I get why he did it. A lot of these hitters think if you go to the home run derby, it messes up your swing. Anecdotal information does say that it does. I mean, you look at some of the guys who played in the home run derby and how their stats have fallen off. So maybe there is something to it. But if you're a guy like Otani, Angels are a shit team. Might as well play. Colorado, Trevor Story, shit team. Might as well play. In fact, he might get traded. And then you have Trey Mancini, shit team. Had Masher, might as well play. The only guy here whose team is actually in first place is Pete Alonso with the New York Mets. So hopefully him being in the home run derby doesn't impact the Mets continuing in their first place trek. But what I'm getting to about the home run derby is I wish Major League Base, I wish the NBA, I think the Sam Dunk competition and the three-point contest needs to be livened up a bit. It's been quite boring. You need to get some of the stars in there. You don't when you don't have stars, nobody cares. Major League Baseball starting to get some of their young stars back into this home run derby, and I think it's gonna pay off dividends. I think people are gonna watch, and I hope people continue to watch because I remember watching those home run derbies on ESPN Classic dating back to like the '60s, where you had would have Willie Mays in there against Mickey Mantle, fantastic, or those dunk contests from back in the days with. Hakeem the Dream, Jordan, and they were just great. I would like to see the NBA bring back some of their stars to the dunk contest. Maybe make it worth a lot more money. I'm not sure. It's their job to figure it out. But I'm glad Major League Baseball and I'm glad that uh, the stars are back for the Home Run Derby. Now moving along and talking about the standings, I'm going to go division by division, quick hitters real quick. I'm going to start with the AL East. It seems like here the Red Sox and Tampa Bay are the clear leaders in the division. Tampa Bay has kind of fallen off a little bit. They're only three games back, but they were in first place a few weeks ago. Then you have Toronto in third place. And Toronto, they're eight and a half, uh, seven and a half games behind the Red Sox. But they just traded for Corey Dickerson from Miami. Solid bat off the bench. They got some bullpen help. I'm thinking they see the Yankees in fourth place, a struggling Yankees team, eight games out. And they're thinking that this division is prime for the taking. So they're saying, why the hell not? They have a young nucleus there. Bo Bichette, Craig Biggio's son is there, Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s son is there, and their pitching still needs help, which I'm seeing that they solidified it, the bullpen a little bit. But if you're the if you're the Toronto Blue Jays, why not? You're seeing a struggling Yankees team, which, by the way, I, you can never count the Yankees out, but they're not hitting the ball, and that's what the Yankees are known for. 
duh, the Bronx fucking bombers here. Um, their pitching is not doing as well as it was earlier in the season, and their pitching was kind of uh, what was saving their ass earlier in the season. But now their pitching is not doing well, their hitting's not doing well, and then you have a role this Chapman, who for the most part is a guaranteed save, has not been pitching well either. The New York Yankees have an issue. Garrett Cole has an issue. Ever since they started checking for all this spider tack, uh, foreign substance crap, his spin rates have gone down. And in turn, he's been getting blown up. And that's not good. But like I said, you can never count out the Yankees. I fully expect them to make some deals. I know that they're coming up against the luxury tax or whatever it's called. But the Yankees got money to pay that off if they go over it, just like the Dodgers do every year. But this division is still prime for the taking. Red Sox and Tampa Bay are leading. Tampa Bay three games back. Toronto making some moves to get back in it. Maybe fight for a wild card spot because they definitely have the offense to compete. And the Yankees are in fourth, but I absolutely expect them to make some sort of run. They seem to always do that year after year. Don't count them out. Moving on to the AL Central, the White Sox still in first. They've been in first pretty much the entire season. Despite all their injury problems, they have quite a few of their top young players mashing hitters out for a very long time. There was that Tony La Russa controversy earlier in the year. Uh, it seems like they're still trudging through and still in first place. Um, they're an exciting team to watch. But you have Cleveland kind of catching up, and people thought this was going to be a rebuilding year for Cleveland. They have the lowest payroll in baseball, but guess what? They are only four games back. Terry Francona continues to be one of the best managers in the game. Nowadays, managers don't get a lot of credit, but you got to give respect to Terry Francona. He every year has the Cleveland Indians in the postseason, won two World Series with the Red Sox. Think he made an ALCS with the Indians, or was it a World Series against the Cubs? I don't quite remember. But Terry Francona, give him credit. He's working with the lowest payroll in baseball. But the Indians are struggling. I just call them the Indians. You can no longer call them that. Cleveland is struggling with injuries to Bieber, Plesak, and then they lost Lindor to the Mets, and they're still only four games out fighting for a playoff spot with the lowest payroll in baseball. Kudos to them. Um, Twins, many thought would be the other team in the Central that would be competing for a playoff spot. They are struggling. I'm thinking that they're going to be in sell-now mode, uh, most likely after being 12 games back. Um, in fact, the most interesting thing about the Minnesota Twins this season is always Nelson Cruz, but Josh Donaldson has been going at it, first trying to fight Garrett Cole with the New York Yankees and calling him out about foreign substances. And then just this past uh, week, he called out Gio. Uh, I'm, I'm losing, uh, I don't remember his name. The, the ace with the White Sox called out their pitcher and met him in the parking lot to talk shit to his face. <laughs> I mean... That's been the most interesting thing about the Twins, which is not very good for them. So I fully expect the White Sox to probably take that division. When you're a team like Cleveland, lowest payroll in baseball, it's going to be a struggle, especially against a team like the White Sox who has so much talent. The Royals have kind of fallen back in that division. I know that they started real hot under the tutelage of Mike Matheny at, at, as manager. They've kind of fallen back down to earth. 
that team is probably is a rebuilding team. I expect them to probably be contenders probably next year, the following year. Baseball, sometimes you just need time to contend. Uh, moving on to the AL West, Houston and Oakland, as usual, are in a dogfight. Astros are doing it despite being universally hated and booed at every single stop that they're at. But it seems like several of their players, like Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve, are having bounce back years. It seemed like whatever happened previous to that really uh, fucked with their psyche last year. Uh, they are in first place. Oakland is, as usual, 0.5 games behind. It's going to be a dogfight for the rest of the year before behind those two teams. Me, personally, I thought the Angels were going to be in competition in this division, but silly fucking me putting any trust in that organization to pull anything out of their ass. I mean, I thought, you know what, they, they have Rendon, they brought in Joe Madden, they have Shohei Otani, they have, they still have Justin Upton, they have Mike Trout, and guess what? They continue, and they had Albert Pujols at the beginning of the year, released them. They continue to be a shit show. That that organization, I don't know what it is. I don't, maybe they just need to blow up the hierarchy, the structure, the GM. They need to invest more in analytics or, or what have you, because they always... Credit to Artie Moreno, the owner of the Angels. He always spends money. They just never win. Maybe they need to spend money in other places like fucking pitching. So that division is going to be a two-headed race between those two teams. Exciting. It seems like it's always those two teams. It has been for the last four to five years. It will be again. Don't count out the A's. One year, they'll get it. I know the playoffs are a crapshoot, but it would be nice to see the A's go deep in a tournament in the playoffs. Uh, moving on to the NL West, the Giants still in first place. They still in first place despite getting swept by the Dodgers. They're still a game and a half ahead of the Dodgers. Still best record in baseball. We'll see how long they that lasts. They were the first team to 50 wins. But I get the general sense that if they don't get another right-handed hitter or if they don't get another bullpen arm in there, that the Dodgers or the Padres are going to... Uh, come up and and take I'm just saying the Giants are for the taking Uh, the Giants have a lot of depth Um, I think they will make the postseason in fact um, as of today they are 8.5 eight and a half games uh, out they're eight the the last playoff team they are eight and a half games ahead of them so that would have to be a significant fall for them at the rest of the season there would maybe be a significant injury that happens that that causes them to fall but even if the Giants go 500 the rest of the way they're going to win 90 plus games their likelihood of making the postseason at the moment is 95 percent which if you told me in the beginning of the season that the Giants would be the first team to 50 wins that the Giants would be in first on July 1st or even that the Giants were even a possibility to win 90 games, I would have said you were fucking crazy, but here we are on July 1st, and all of that is a possibility. So the Giants are playing with house money at the moment. I fully expect Farhan Zaidi to go out there and make some moves, maybe move, maybe trade Joey Bart from AAA, our high-prized prospect that we've been touting for years. For all of, these, for all of you that don't know, the Giants have probably only one or two players signed past this year so they have all the money in the world to go spend um, in the offseason but it's great that they fast-tracked their rebuilding process and they're on the fast track to their first postseason appearance since 
2016. Like I said, the Dodgers and Padres are not far behind. The Dodgers, I wouldn't say they beat up on the Giants this weekend, but I definitely think that they exposed the Giants a bit. The Giants were something like 0 for 18 with runners in scoring position, which tells me that they need another bat in that lineup. Their pitching was fine because the Dodgers only scored six runs all series. The, the problem was the Giants only scored three. Dodgers rotation is awesome. They got Kershaw. They got Bueller. Urias. They, they're going to be... It's going to be interesting the second half of the season with, all these, with these three teams fighting it out. The Padres and the Giants lead Major League Baseball in, in DL, in IL days, injured list days. I believe Giants are in second and the Padres by far are in first with the most players uh, or most... Um, injured list days Um, so it's two teams that have been you know injury riddled including the Dodgers I mean the Dodgers didn't don't have Trevor May they don't have Corey Seager they didn't have Corey Bellinger for a while and they're a game and a half behind the Giants so the next couple weeks will be interesting the next three weeks will be interesting because the MLB trade deadline is coming. So it will be interesting to see which teams are movers, which teams are sellers, which teams are buyers. We shall see. But this division is by far most competitive. You can pretty much say that the Colorado Rockies and the Arizona Diamondbacks are going to be one of those selling teams. We shall see what happens in the next couple weeks, folks. Moving on to the NL East. The Mets have uh, distanced themselves in first place. They're in first. They have Francisco Lindor. Their billionaire owner has came in, and they're looking good. Um, they're looking good despite the fact that you know Francisco Lindor is struggling. Jacob Degrom has pitched amazing. In fact, I think he is having the best year ever for a pitcher in Major League Baseball history as of july 1st that is absolutely amazing you look at his era you look at his numbers by far blow everyone out of the water we're talking about historic numbers and guess what going back to my point earlier nobody knows who the fuck jacob de is if jacob de walked down the street you would not know who he is and that's a freaking problem for major league baseball but the mets are in first their billionaire owner must be happy because this is a team that has struggled to hit the ball, and this is a team that in some instances has struggled to pitch, but they see themselves in first, most likely because the Braves, Phillies, have been struggling this year as well. We'll see for how long those teams struggle. I fully expect the Atlanta Braves, who I personally picked to win the division, to bounce back. We shall see. But the division is still pretty close. Five games separate fourth place from the Mets so there's a lot of baseball to be played here the Nationals have been making a big comeback a team that people thought were going to be sellers at the trade deadline and a team that was going to rebuild and retool well they have this guy named Kyle Schwarber who if you don't remember who he is he came on he was part of that Chicago Cubs team that won the World Series the guy is a freaking masher He has hit something like 14 home runs in the last week or so. It's been amazing, and and the Nationals have rode him to just being two to three games behind, uh, two games behind the Mets. But like I said, five games separate the fourth-place Phillies and the first-place Mets. The Braves are four and a half games behind. 
I fully expect them to still be in contention, but the jury is still out on this division. I think this division is going to go to the end, just like I think the NL West will go to the end, just like I think the AL West will go to the end. We have three divisions here. I even think the NL, the uh, AL East will go to the end. That's four divisions there that pretty much are all still in play. Uh, now, a division that I think might not be in play, and this will all depend on how St. Louis Cardinals do in the second half of the season and also how the Cubs decide to go about their trade deadline because the Brewers are on a hot streak. They've won nine of the, their last ten games. They're not a very impressive team, in fact, when you look at their lineup, but they've just been winning games. The Cubs have lost seven of the, their last ten. Last time we had a, an update about the MLB standings, I was talking about how the Cubs were very impressive. Well, now they've lost seven of ten, and now they're, they've come back down to earth, and they're six games behind the Brewers. A lot of people thought at the beginning of the season that the Cubs were going to be sellers at the trade deadline. But then the Cubs were in first place and were playing really well. Well, now... I think they've come back to reality a bit. And I have a feeling that the if they the next two weeks will be crucial. We'll see where they are in the next two weeks. If they still continue to be six games out, I think that team needs to retool and reload. I think they need to trade some of the guys that have expiring contracts like Javier Baez, Rizzo, Wilson Contreras, those types of guys. I'm sure they could retool their farm system by getting rid of those guys. Um, but the next two weeks will be very crucial for the Chicago Cubs. The St. Louis Cardinals, who were my pick to win the division. So notice here how I said my pick several times and they have not come to fruition. Well, this prediction business is very difficult, folks. Come on. Yeah, the St. Louis Cardinals have been a big bust after trading for Nolan Arenado. He's mashing the ball, but everything else is kind of just not working out. Um, their, their other masher in the lineup, Paul Goldschmidt, struggling. Their starting pitching is not doing very well. In fact, their best starting pitcher is like 40-year-old Adam Wainwright, who maybe throws 85 miles an hour. It's not good. They lost J Jake Jack Flaherty. Carlos Martinez is, is bad. If they don't turn it around on offense there in St. Louis, they're going to be a, probably one of the biggest disappointments of the year. Because anytime you trade for a guy like Nolan Arenado, you expect to contend. And Nolan Arenado left Colorado because he was tired of being out of the postseason and not contending. Uh, you have the Reds in that division as well. Another team that can hit the crap out of the ball, but they're eight games back. They have a couple they have a couple guys that Nick Castellanos, Winker, Suarez, their pitch I mean, they got a couple guys in there that are all gonna be in the all star game. But at the end of the day, they play in that ballpark, Great American Ballpark. You need to score more runs than normal, but you also give up a lot of runs, and that's their problem. And it has been their problem for quite some time now. But I fully expect probably either the Brewers, and, and I, I probably expect the Cubs to fall off a bit, and then maybe it'll be the Brewers and the Cardinals towards the end. But right now, the Brewers have a six-game lead, and they have a stranglehold on the division. But I think my final take on all of this is that outside of maybe the NL Central and maybe the AL Central, all these divisions are up for grabs. You're looking at the Red Sox are only up three games on Tampa Bay. The Giants are only up a game and a half on the Dodgers. Houston is only up 
is up less than a game on on Oakland, and then the NL East, the the Mets are only two games up on the Nationals, and five games separate the Phillies from them. So everything is up for grabs, which will make an exciting second half of the season for Major League Baseball. And God knows that they need it because they need those ratings badly. Well, that's it for for that portion of the podcast where I kind of uh, give you a little bit of news and notes. There was a couple other things I kind of wanted to talk about, but I'll leave it to the next podcast. I'll I'll end my podcast as I do every week and we'll give you my gambling picks of the week. I'm 10 and 3. Thus far, I went one and one the last time I did my podcast, which was two weeks ago. So I'm ten and three in total since I started. I have five picks for you. By the time you listen to this podcast, my first two picks, you will not be able to bet on them because the games are on Friday, and I plan on uploading this podcast sometime today, early tomorrow. But the games are at nine a.m. Pacific time and at noon. So if you get in early, maybe you can place those bets. But I'm going to make the bets anyway. So I have five games here. They're all going to be soccer-centric. So sorry for those out there that do not like soccer, football, or football, whatever in your neck of the woods, where you, whatever term you use. Don't send me hate mail for it. I have Italy at plus 135 to win in regular time against Belgium. I think the loss of those two big attacking players, De Bruyne, and Hazard will be a little bit too much against Italy, who I think has been the team of the tournament thus far. I have Spain and Switzerland over 2.5 goals at plus 108. Spain, as you know, has scored 10 goals in their last two games, and Switzerland put up three on on France, so I fully expect a uh, another attacking football game there England and Ukraine I have under two and a half at minus 136 so I'm putting a little bit of juice on there but looking at how England has defended this entire tournament they haven't given up a single goal they also haven't attacked well this entire tournament so I think this game will be under two and a half goals I also have Denmark at plus 107 to win against the Czech Republic in regular time riding this this train I think they'll beat the Czech Republic nothing really is impressive about the Czech Republic but they're just one of those teams that grind it out and they win Um, they're always it seems like they're almost in every tournament they never fully impress they were in the believe the final of the 1996 Euro Cup but I have Denmark going to the semifinals at plus 107 and then lastly I'm going to give you a little bit of Copa America I have Uruguay at plus 140 to advance in regular time. This is not the Colombian team of old that has that attacking flair, and I think Uruguay defends very well. So to summarize here, I have Italy at plus 135 to win in regular time. I have Spain and Switzerland over 2.5 goals at plus uh, 108. I have England against Ukraine under 2.5 goals at minus 136. And I have Denmark plus 107 to win in regular time against the Czech Republic. And lastly, I have Uruguay at plus 140 to advance in regular time. That is five picks for you. I hope by next week I am 15-3. and That would be absolutely fantastic. But if not, bet responsibly, people. It is not my responsibility if you do lose. 
Um, but that's it for, for me, folks, on this episode, on episode six of the Angry Degenerate podcast. Like I said, I'm going to try to have one of these out for you every uh, week, Thursday or Friday, depending on my schedule. A play has got to work. You feel me? Um, I'm going to try to limit these podcasts to anywhere between 30 minutes to 45 minutes. I'm definitely going to try to keep them under an hour. If, you know, as you look at your a- analytics, you notice that uh, how long people watch and that and listen and that type of thing. And that's kind of the sweet spot. And that's kind of the little market research I have done. Thinking of the future of the podcast, I eventually want to have guests on. Stay tuned for that. I'm going to be putting a pause on the NFL previews up until we get closer to the season. So I'm thinking I'm going to bring back the previews and cover them probably around training camp time, maybe around preseason time. So August, all my podcasts leading up to August will be kind of the same format that I did today. A lot of news and notes and giving my takes on things. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy my takes. Catch me on TikTok at The Angry Degenerate for my wonderful videos and my hate mail that I get from trolling fans of the world. And uh, also follow me on Instagram at at the Angry Degenerate. And like I said, you can find this podcast wherever podcasts are at, except Amazon. You can find them in, on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Google. And that's it for the podcast, folks. See you next week.